This is a Woodside Church podcast. Good morning, everyone. Great to have this opportunity of speaking to you again. My name is David Devonish. I'm one of the pastors here at Woodside Church. And I'm going to be continuing our series on Look to Jesus, which we felt was so important during this time of pandemic that we look to Jesus, who is the one that makes sense of the world, makes sense of life and rescues us from the effects of evil. And so we're looking to Jesus and we've been embarking upon Jesus's teaching in the famous sermon that's called the Sermon on the Mount. And this time we want to look at Jesus's comments about what we call the Old Testament, which is of course the only Bible that Jesus and the early church had because The New Testament, what we call the New Testament, had not yet been written. And so Jesus was having to deal with two particular issues here. Firstly, people thought, well, this could this be the Messiah? Could be this be the one promised? Jesus did remarkable miracles, but on the other hand, he didn't fulfill all their expectations. So they were expecting a Messiah who would keep the details of all the Jewish law absolutely and but also would be leading them in a revolt against the Roman power which was occupying Israel at the time. And so Jesus, yes, seemed to be like a Messiah but didn't keep all the rules. He allowed his disciples on one occasion to pluck ears of corn on the Sabbath, which was completely forbidden under Jewish law, which they understood as properly interpreting the Old Testament about keeping the seventh day, the Sabbath, holy. Also, they were used to a different style of teaching from their religious teachers. They were used to people who added lots and lots of detail to the Old Testament commands to make sure that people didn't offend those commands in any way. So, for example, uh, because you weren't allowed to cook on the Sabbath, they said you could cover hot food from the day before with cloths or with flax, but you mustn't use straw because straw would add extra heat and therefore cook the food more and that would be breaking the Sabbath. Or you could put cloths, these are the details they went into, you could put cloths under the udder of a goat. If it was to keep keep it warm, that was okay. If it was to catch the milk, it wasn't because that would be uh, breaking the Sabbath. And And so all these laws they had, Now today, our situation is very different. That's not the issues we're facing. But when it comes to the Old Testament, often people will say things like, well, yes, they can appreciate Jesus of the New Testament, 
but the Old Testament really gives them problems. And some of us may even feel like, who are believers in Jesus, may also feel like that and uh, even get a little bit embarrassed uh, about some of the Old Testament uh, scriptures. So what did Jesus say about the Old Testament? We already have heard him quoting it when he was coming against uh, the, the devil tempting him in the wilderness, which Martin spoke about. He used scripture to uh, argue against the devil's temptation. So he obviously respected it. And of course, uh, it wasn't called the Old Testament then because there wasn't a new one. The Jews called it the laws and law and the prophets. That was their description of the scriptures. So what did Jesus say? And this is what he says in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to read it together. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. That's, as I said, how the Jews described the, the Old Testament. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard it that it was said to the people long ago, referring to what was taught in the Old Testament, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which was a very insulting term, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool, another very uh, insulting term, will be in danger of the fire of hell. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. What on earth does that mean? Solemn words. So, what does this teach us about Jesus and the Old Testament? Well, firstly, he honoured and respected it. He wasn't abolishing it, as some would have thought. To follow Jesus, we must respect and learn from the whole Bible, because Jesus honoured the Old Testament. The Old Testament is God's word to us, but we interpret it according to Jesus' teaching. Jesus, because he is God the Son, was able to reinterpret the Old Testament in the light 
of what he came to do to save the world. So it says he didn't come to abolish it, he came to fulfill it. The word literally means fill it full. By his, he did that by his obedience to it, but also by teaching its deeper meaning. So, the heart is to be changed, not just outward actions. The teachers of the law of that time were trying to make sure there were enough outward actions that you could fulfill to make sure you weren't offending against the commands. Jesus said, no, I'm going to uh, deepen those commands to see how it affects your heart and your whole attitude. He came to fulfill it. He lived a perfect life, living according to the law of God. He was also fulfilling the prophets because he was living out what they said about the Messiah that was to come. So what were the law and the prophets saying and how were they fulfilled? See, there are different categories of law in the Old Testament, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Firstly, there were laws about sacrifices. Detail, how the lamb should be prepared, how, what other animals could be used for sacrifices, what you did with different parts of the body and so on. They were all to demonstrate that a sacrifice for sin needed to be perfect. And there were also detailed instructions about the temple, who could go into the temple, who could go all the way into the Holy of Holies. The temple was subject to lots and lots of ritual. But Jesus, he says, came to fulfill it. So he fulfilled both the, the, being the sacrifice he became the Lamb of God who died on the cross, was sacrificed for, uh, to set us free and forgive us our sins. He also was the temple. And so he fulfilled everything that the temple said. And the first people in Matthew's Gospel after this sermon that he went to were people who would have been prevented in some measure from going to the temple. Because Jesus was now the temple. The temple came out onto the streets. And they, first he touched a leper. A leper wasn't even allowed into Jerusalem. Then he, uh, he touched, he, he, he healed a centurion, a Gentile's child. Gentiles were allowed into Jerusalem, but not into the temple beyond the outer court. Then he healed a woman, Peter's mother-in-law. And she was allowed into the temple, but not as far as the men could go. So all those separations, all those distinctions were abolished because Jesus fulfilled it. Jesus was the sacrifice and Jesus was the temple. So he fulfilled that. Then there were other laws that kept Israel distinct from the nations around. A lot of the food laws, there were lots of things you couldn't eat. For example, I could give many other examples, but that'll do for now. And it was important that Israel be kept, stayed as a distinct nation 
and didn't get absorbed in the nations around because the Messiah, who was going to rescue the whole world, was coming from Israel. Now, Jesus fulfilled that as well because he fulfilled by being the Messiah, but then said the good news that he brought was for the whole world, for every nation, regardless of their background, regardless of who they were. It's for everyone. It's for every nation in under heaven. All are equal now. And so whatever food different nations eat, you can eat them. Because he's fulfilled what those laws were intended for. So we can eat whatever our culture eats. And I've, I've had some interesting things in my travel enjoyed a wonderful dish of, of, of deep fried maggots not so long ago. Cool, because all food is now clean. And all those distinctiveness was fulfilled through Jesus. And the other big thing was that the sign of God's covenant with Israel, God's agreement with Israel, was male circumcision. Now, not necessary. Because Jesus has brought a new covenant, which we remember when we drink the wine at the communion service. The new covenant in his blood. He's fulfilled all that that intended. But then there was the moral law. And this was fulfilled in Jesus because he lived a pure and unselfish life, serving people, loving enemies, dying for us, so that all his followers can now live differently, living out the moral law by the power of the grace of God and by the power of the Spirit of God. What other scriptures call the law of Christ, which is Jesus even deepening, as we'll see in a moment, the moral laws of the Old Testament. Also, the promises of the prophets for freedom from their enemies Jesus enlarged and fulfilled. It wasn't now the Romans that were their enemies. It was sin, guilt, shame, death, evil powers. And Jesus fulfilled the promise that the real enemies of the whole human race would be de dealt with. And so, Jesus also fulfilled these laws by giving them a deeper meaning because he said to his disciples as I as we read earlier for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law the people that taught all those things about what you do with uh, cloths on goats others and how you keep the Sabbath unless you surpass that surpass it you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So what did Jesus say? Well, he said, it's written, you shall not murder. And of course, Jesus reinforces that as well. But he said, I'm going to go further. I'm going to show the heart of that. He said, anyone who is angry with their brother or sister is guilty of that now so jesus deep 
deepened and amplified that command. The tense of the word being angry is what we call continuous present tense. What it means is remaining angry. Sometimes you get angry, but Jesus is saying, don't remain angry. Forgive, deal with it quickly. They're all carrying anger. You know, sometimes people are described, he's, he or she's an angry person. They're carrying anger. Or nursing a grudge, we might say. The Apostle Paul said something similar in the book of Ephesians. He said this, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. In other words, don't go to bed angry. Deal with it. And what um, one of the commentators said about this Matthew scripture is that this command not to be angry, it calls us to almost daily conversion. You know, Christian life, we're free. We're free because we're forgiven. But also every day we seek to know the freedom that comes from putting into practice the way that Jesus had deepened the law. You understand? And so Jesus then gives an example, which we didn't read for sake of time. But he said, if you're going up to the temple, which if you lived in Galilee where he was, that would be three days journey. And then you go through all the rigmarole of buy, buying your lamb and so on. If you go to the temple to worship God and you remember you've got something against your brother or your brother has something against you. Jesus says, leave your offering. Don't offer it to God. Just leave it there and go all the way back. Make sure you put things right with your brother or sister. In other words, I don't want you to worship me, says God, if you're not forgiving a brother or sister, if you're holding a grudge. Because Jesus is concerned of harmony in the whole community. That's how he's deepening this law. And so don't hang on to anger and don't express anger in an appropriate way. Well, by, which he illustrated by using these two strong terms of raka and you fool, which may not be as strong in English now, but using hot, you can think of the words, I'm sure that Jesus would have meant. So good relationships are important. That's the deepening, that's fulfilling this command. Similarly, Jesus intensifies the command about adultery. Obviously, he reinforces that we shouldn't commit adultery, shouldn't break our marriage vows. But he says not just outward action, it's also the inner thought life. And he says anyone who looks at a woman, talking to men at this, in this instance, but it would apply the other way around, look at a woman lustfully, has already committed adultery in his heart. As, a, as all of you listening to me will appreciate, we get these wrong thoughts regularly. What does it mean then? Again, it's the continuous present tense. Anyone who continues to look at a woman lustfully and 
in his thought, in their thought life, are dwelling on somebody else rather than the person they're married to. He's actually talking in the context of marriage, but it probably equally in the context of singleness. It's sustained looking with the intent to possess. Jesus condemns looking in order to lust. A look just happens. Continuing is allowing it to happen. So then he says, take decisive action. So cut out your eye or cut off your hand. And that's not literal, please. Has occasionally been reinterpreted that way. But he's saying, be drastic. Turn off the TV if it's something that's leading you into, into wrong thoughts. Block certain websites. If you have a problem, as some of you, I believe, listening to me will have, with pornography, then learn how to deal with that and be accountable to someone you trust to help you get free of this. You say, well, what are you doing? Just putting more laws on us? No, 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 no. I'm believing for loving God and loving neighbour. And adultery is, as well as a sin itself, is also not love for your neighbour, not love for the person whose wife you're, you're, you're going after. Drastic action is called for when you're dwelling on things. Doesn't mean that wrong thoughts don't come sometimes, it's how you deal with them. In fact, wrong thoughts may come very often. It's how you deal with them. Martin Luther said, you can't stop the birds flying over your head, but you can stop them building a nest in your hair. Rather graphic way of saying it. These thoughts fly around all over the place, but we can stop them lodging here so that we then move on to uh, seeking to demean someone we're lusting after. Notice, Jesus deals with anger first, then sexual sin. Often the church has majored on sexual sin and ignored anger and unforgiveness. Jesus' priorities put it the other way around. So, my conclusions from this. Firstly, as I said last time I preached on this a couple of weeks ago, I'm relieved that grace comes first in the Sermon on the Mount. Because if we read these scriptures when Jesus is fulfilling and intensifying and deepening the law to apply to our hearts rather than just outward actions, then we're all guilty. But hallelujah, grace comes first. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit who are humble, who recognise, Lord, yeah, I do wrong, but Lord, I trust you to help me. And I claim the continuing forgiveness and washing of what you did on the cross of Calvary. Because if the sermon started here, I'd be in trouble, wouldn't you? But grace and faith are to have an effect. Faith without works is dead. The James says, but though we are converted to follow Christ, I'm following Jesus, I need a daily conversion to appropriate the uh, sacrifice of Calvary for how I'm living, and I've got power now to deal with these things 
and live differently. Well, some of you who may not yet be followers of Christ may be thinking, well, this is a very, this is a very um, condemning sort of message. I hope it's not. You may have, those things I read about anger and looking at a woman lustfully or the other way around, surely. This is a bit tough. Is this is what message we need during lockdown. That's what I'd say to you. Imagine a world with healthy relationships where wrongs are forgiven one another, where there's a refusal to carry anger and to nurse that in our hearts. Imagine a world where all are treated equally because that's what the gospel does where there's no discrimination on the level on grounds of class or race imagine a world like that and imagine a world where we refuse to see women as sex objects but as honoured daughters of God who we respect. That is intended to be the atmosphere of the Kingdom of God. This is very, very positive. Do you understand? It's positive. It's not negative. And the demonstration of true discipleship. And even though the church, sadly, has often not lived this out, this is Jesus' teaching. And so I want to say the attractiveness of the kingdom of God and this teaching. And so there's grace, if you're not a believer in Jesus, to turn to him and have an inward change which enables you to live differently. And there's grace for those who do believe because we know that uh, we fall in these areas from time to time, but we know the way out to receive the grace and forgiveness of God and change. It's not just receive grace and then carry on as we were before. Receive grace and the power of the Spirit to change so that we demonstrate in our church community something of the kingdom of God as expressed in these scriptures. Christ has fulfilled the law and the prophets and enables us to fulfill them too with his help. Let's pray together. Father, Thank you that Jesus taught us to, to honour the whole scripture and see it all as the word of God. But thank you too that he gave fresh meaning to old commands to enable a community of people living by the standards of the kingdom of God, but doing so as those forgiven and helped by the power of the spirit of God, I pray. And I pray more and more may be added to wanting to be a part of a community that lives this way. Lord, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.